that are that are senior members of the crew, senior members of the department, really, really, tr- truly anybody that has spent their time as a firefighter. I don't care if they have five years, 10 years or 15 years. If they have a credible history of being a firefighter and they've been demonstrating authentic leadership qualities throughout their career, I think that makes their transition very, very easy. Firehouse Vigilance presents the Weekly Scrap, a podcast dedicated to the never-ending fight against complacency. Holy more Firehouse Vigilance. It is Weekly Scrap number 223. Tonight's guest is Jared Sergi. He is a captain with Norfolk Fire Rescue in Virginia. He is currently assigned to the department's training division and, in his own words, is an engine company maniac. Jared is a state instructor for both the state of Virginia. He's he's an instructor at the National Fire Academy, focusing on Mayday, strategy, tactics, high-rise. He serves on committees, including uh, NFPA. He has the certifications. He has the paper, including EFO, including a master's degree in executive leadership. He's also served our country in the United States Navy. He's written books. He's published articles. He lectures across the country. I have been looking forward to this one for quite a while, and it is my absolute pleasure to have you back on as a guest of Weekly Scrap number 223. Welcome, my brother, Jared Sergi. Thanks for having me, man. I'm pumped to be back on. I appreciate the opportunity. I had to go look it up and see, man, like, I knew it was early. I, knew I was, was wondering early. the same thing when I was driving this morning. I was actually listening to um, your your podcast with Chief Lieb, and I was like, I wonder, I don't even remember when I was on there before, what number it would have been. I, I had to go remember. look it up. Yeah. It was number number 16. No, dang, number 16. That's why. And, so, and, and, and the thing is, the first 10 was just me. And then, and like, number uh-huh. 11 was just me and number 15. You were the fourth guest. Oh, okay. That's awesome. The fourth guest ever on the scrap. So I had to go look it up and count it. That's so that's pretty cool. cool. Well, I, yeah, I'm glad to be back. Been too long. Been too long. It has been too long. Yeah. One of the OG scrappers. That's right. Uh, all right. Anything I missed in the intro? Anything you want to add? No, man. That's it. That's good enough. Perfect. Uh, audience, please get your questions primed and ready. Uh, Sam is in here pulling questions. Kyle is teaching on the road, teaching in Missouri. So Kyle will not be joining right us tonight and grabbing them. Uh, we're going to have some fun. Quick announcements out the gate. Uh, let's get to the – well, let, let me let me see what people are saying. Let's roll from Bradley Valiant Court. Unleash the Sergi comes from Mark alone. <laughs> Steve McCaffrey saying, let's go. Megan Smith checking in. Heck yeah, let's go. Let's. There's a lot of let's goes. Dave, all right, let's, let's do it. About 16 O's on the let's go and four rocker horns. Right on. Uh, two digits on the scape, but number, uh, Joey, I, I can't even tell what that one, that one means. <laughs> it's cryptid, huh? Yeah, Joey, Joey hit me with the code. I'm not sure what it is. You have to decipher it. Uh, absolutely. I just missed the snow in West Fargo. 30,000 steps. Just missed the snow. That's from Joe Johnson. All right. Oof. Here we go. V50 Vigilante's locked in. I love it. All right. Let's get to the beautiful sponsors. Speaking of Joey Hayes, the OG sponsor of the scrap, Key Hose. Check them out online at keyhose.com. Follow them on Facebook. Then, of course, the Affordable Drill Towers, home of the Affordable Drill Tower, and introducing the all-new Affordable Bailout Prop, and, of course, the Affordable Standpipe Prop. They are firefighter-owned and operated. You can pump and roll using the Affordable Standpipe Prop. The the Affordable Standpipe Prop fits through most classroom doorways for standpipe theory, and then you can roll it into the parking lot and pump realistic flows and pressures. It comes with up to seven standpipe valves that can be upgraded to PRVs or customized to what you have in your jurisdiction. Call Steve 
at 844-55-TOWER or drop an email to info at affordabledrilltowers.com. Firefighter safety and accountability starts with being able to quickly find and identify individual firefighters operating on the fire ground. Identifier safety combines the best in photoluminescent materials for durable firefighter identification solutions that can glow for up to 20 hours with no switches, no batteries, which means being able to rapidly identify firefighters by name, unit, or assignment, even under hot fire conditions, all specifically designed and tested for the rigors of the job. Be seen on scene, identifiersafety.com. And there we go. Sponsors are done. It's time to get to scrapping. Audience, please get your questions ready. Jared, I have so many directions I want to go. Yeah. uh, You know that I absolutely love leadership. It's one of my passions, leadership and culture. So we're going to hit a lot of that. Okay. Uh, And I'll I'll start off with um, something. Of course, I love your book. It's it's one of the original uh, firefighter leadership books that I read. It was like Pride and Ownership, No Nonsense Leadership, and then Step Up and Lead were pretty early on for me. uh, Yeah. we talked about it before. Yeah, we did. Yeah, I actually got your book right in front of me too, which which I got to admit this is this is how you can tell I have a little you can see I got my pages. I got a little OCD. So, you know, you get your 9 Ls. Right. But there's there's only 8 bulbs like when you count Ooh, them. I never even and I was like, "Corley, you're I need you're another bulb in here somewhere." <laughs> <laughs> so that's how you can tell I have an OCD problem. I will uh, like, actually oh, No, this doesn't compute. It doesn't compute. You have to figure out which one's not included. Yeah, that's funny. I did not realize. I, you're the first person who's pointed that out to me. Yeah, yeah, it's an illness, but it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> the importance of authenticity in leadership, and how do you define authentic leadership? So that's good. Um, we are actually just talking about this in in a class I was teaching today. So I'll start with, I guess, how I would define this first. I think when you just simply look at authenticity it's about just simply being true to who you are right and i think i think people expect authentic leadership from from really anybody in any type of leadership position within your fire department and you know i think authentic leadership is just that it's it's demonstrating leadership that is true to yourself it's demonstrating leadership that is genuine you are sincere when you mean something you say something you you stand behind what you value uh, and people probably can see that in you, even likely before you were promoted, right? And it, I mean, sometimes in a large department, they may not they may not know, but stand by what you believe in, stand by by what you value, and it's okay to stand firm in those values. And I think people expect that type of authentic leadership. At least I think they'll have a certain level of respect for it, even if they don't agree. And I've seen people, I've seen company officers, I've seen chief officers where I know they value this specific thing. Like I've heard them talk about it. I could see the passion pour out of them when they, when they speak to it. And then they might find themselves in this group of people that maybe doesn't align with them. They don't see things the way they do. And I see them adjust their sales and they try to like, they try to downplay what they believe in. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh yeah, that's, I guess that's really not important or yeah, that's really not a big deal in the end. And they kind of, they kind of go with the, they match the energy of the crowd. That's kind of against what they stand for. And I'm like, no, no. Okay. I was, like, was going to ask. Be, I was yeah, like, do, be, do they, do they, do they, do they compromise their values somewhat? Yeah, I don't, I don't think ultimately they do, but I think, I think sometimes they, they say they will. Yeah. They downplay it just to, 
just to play to the tune of the crowd or just to just to please the people around them. And it's like, no, stand firm in what you believe in. Like, that's what people want to see from you. You know, I've tried to stand up in front of people and, and, you know, shout from the mountaintops about things that I'm passionate about, about things that I believe in. And I think the people that know me well, that know Jared Sergi well enough, they know what I value. They know what's important to me. They know that I try to demonstrate genuine leadership. And if they see me not do that, they're like, bro, this is, this is not you. Like, we know what you stand for. We know what you believe in. Like, just be an authentic person in general. And then that should spill over into your leadership attributes as well. You know, so that's how I would define it. You know, someone that's genuine, someone that's sincere, someone that demonstrates leadership that aligns with their values. They stand firm in those values. They stand by what they believe in. And then that is simply demonstrated at, at you know, at the ground level in the firehouse I don't care if you're having a conversation. I don't care if it's a decision that you make, um, an action that you take. If everything is rooted in those those values and what you believe in and what you stand for, then you're demonstrating authentic leadership, regardless of whether people are going to be on board with you or not, like that you're being true to yourself. You're being authentic. I think people should – I think most people want that. I think most people should expect that. I love it. No, uh, do you think – and again, spitballing here because mm-hmm. do you think? But your opinion uh, is it is it the desire to be liked uh, as opposed to respected? Like they'd I, I rather think, not to ruffle feathers or just not to offend. I, I, Which, I think kind of maybe all of it actually. Like okay. I'm trying to remember a recent situation, and the names don't matter. But I, I can remember this chief officer talking about something with a group of people. We we're all kind of standing around, and I don't, I, I really don't remember the 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 substance of the conversation. But I remember having this feeling. I remember hearing him talk and I'm like, I know you well enough to know that you don't believe what you just said. Like, I know you well enough to know that you, that's not what you want. And it was just kind of like, it turned into this kind of lighthearted conversation. And it was almost like he was just trying to please the people around him. And I'm like, no man, like that's not you stand up for what you believe in. Like, this is your opportunity to tell these folks. No. And it wasn't a bad thing. It wasn't like, he was going to come down on them and say, no, this is how it is. This is what I believe. This is what you should believe too. It was like, no, this is an opportunity for you to be genuine. This is an opportunity for you to not waver in what you believe. Right. Like, like stand up, like stand up, like don't, don't, don't let these people push you over or allow them, you know, to mask your values and what you believe in just for the sake of trying to please them in this one conversation. It's like, bro, sure. stand firm. Like I was like, man, I wish you would have, that was an opportunity that was missed. Right. Uh, you know, it's just that kind of thing. And I think it's all like what you said. I think they mean they don't want to offend people. Maybe they just want to please the crowd and move on. I think it's a combination of all of that. Well, one thing I've noticed and, and you know, because I'm a huge fan of humility and I know you are too. Uh, mm-hmm. Humility is so, so, so important in a leader. But uh, the, the uh, one of my new uh, things that I, that I think about sometimes is this uh, dichotomy of humility in the fact of one of the strengths of humility is to be able to look in the mirror and say, maybe I'm wrong here, you know, because that's. Yeah. You know, and 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 there's a downside to it because if you're always questioning whether you're wrong, uh, you can become weak almost. Does that make sense? No, no, that makes total sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, I absolutely agree with you. And so I wonder if part of that plays into it also is just that I, because I, like I said, being humble is so 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 important because you can't learn if your arrogance and ego and all that all that rolled into it. Yeah, I think you're right. I think people can have that that attribute to a fault where. Again, they, they, it, it's like a good thing, but too much of it, right. like, I guess like, you know, too much of anything's a, a bad thing. I guess it's the same thing with that, where there's just, it causes this 
self-doubt. Like you said, well, maybe maybe I'm wrong because everybody else around me is saying this one thing. Right. Well, I'm just going to kind of lay down and, you know, maybe they're right. And it's like, you know, in some cases, maybe that's the, that's that's true. Um, but it's like, no, like if you have something to be said, then you need to say it again. You need to stand up for, for, for what you believe in. Like this is your opportunity to voice your concerns, to voice your opinions, to voice your values, to voice your vision, whatever it is. Like that's an opportunity for you. So don't let, don't, don't let your humility overcorrect to the point where you just lay down and you compromise everything. Love it. First question coming from the audience is coming from none other than Mark alone. Oh gosh, man, Which, he's going to throw some hard balls, isn't he? January 9th uh, is when Mark will be coming on. Mark's oh, coming awesome. back on. So just that, just a, a shameless plug, but let me pull up the question here. And it is, do you think we really want leadership or has it become more of a catchphrase? So it's not, um, it's, he's starting off with soft toss. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's an easy one. Thanks, Mark. Uh, so the question again, do you think we want, do we truly want leadership or do we want, or or has it just become a catchphrase? That was the right. question, right? That's, that's his question. Do, we, do, do people really want leadership? I think they do. Uh, and I can only say that based off where I work. Um because I see it, and I'm not I'm not saying that there's a complete lack of it where I where I come from. That's not the case either. But I can see the void that it leaves. And because I hear people say it, like they'll come up to me and they'll say, I have this problem in the firehouse. And it could be, you know, my company officer isn't working with me. My company officer isn't going over my task book. This decision, this 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 problem wasn't handled the best way it could have. This conversation took a turn for the worse because of just simply the way this person talked to me. So I think people want it. I think most people want it. I think most people crave it, especially when they don't have it. And especially when they look at a neighboring firehouse or they look at a neighboring department and they see what's going on over there and they see the reputation, they see the actions that are taking place. They see how conversations are had. They see the how morale's through the roof and all those other things. And I think, I think at some point it becomes not only do they want it, but but they crave it. Crave it. Now, again, just like you said, there's a dichotomy in everything, right? So I can even see some people where it's like, well, I want this, like I want this leadership, but um, but sometimes they don't want some of the things that go along with it, like like even sometimes discipline, sometimes accountability, sometimes um, the fact that they need to, you know, their leadership if doing things the right way might force a mirror in front of them where they take a look internally and say, hey, do I have some ownership issues myself? That's that's the responsibility of somebody in a leadership position to do for their folks. Some people don't want that, you know, but but ultimately, I think people want to be led. I believe that. Um, I believe that to my core. I know I'm the same way. I want I want my boss to to demonstrate leadership for me. I want them to to show mentorship to me, even as a captain. I want my chiefs doing that for me. So I think, yes, I think people want it. I think I think people that don't have it, they see it in other folks. They crave it. And I think ultimately people want to be led. And, you know, that can come in the form of formal leadership, obviously, throughout ranks and your command structure and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, just like Josh talked about recently on your podcast, you know, you don't need you don't need any fancy collars or anything on your uniform to, to do that within the firehouse. And if if you are working in a place that doesn't have it then you have a responsibility to, to fill that void, right? You shouldn't have to wait for a certain type of company officer to show up or uh, this certain firefighter. If you're there and you recognize 
the void, then you need to step up and, and fill that role and, and take responsibility. Love it. Absolutely love it. Uh, great. And I, and, and mine and your opinions on it are just like, like, I, I love your answer, brother. I love your answer. Thank you, Mark, for a, a great question. If you that want clarification, if you want clarification, keep it, keep, keep sending them down the pipe and Jared will keep crushing them. Yeah. Yeah. Chuck Hen- uh, Hennis. I'm going to say it's Hennis. Chuck Hennis has a question. In your opinion, do you think leadership at the top may not want strong leaders anymore? Seems like they rely more on tests than character. What's your opinion? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know if I have the best answer for that. Do I think leaders at the top, so I'm assuming like fire chiefs, executive staff, things like that, do they want yeah, right. do they want good leaders in the firehouse? I think the short answer is yes. I think that they do. This is where I think we go wrong. I think I don't think that our chief officers, at least where I work also, I don't think my chiefs go to work and they want problems in the organization. My chiefs don't go to work and figure out ways to make lives miserable for the firefighters that are in their stations. I don't believe that. I don't I, that doesn't happen. I try to tell my folks all the time to assume positive intent in their leadership, to assume positive intent in their chiefs. Like they have different job descriptions, but they're going going to work every day with a different set of responsibilities. But part of that is not to make your life miserable. It's not to put problems on your desk. It's not to make your life tough. So I think it works down the chain of command also. I think people in those positions, the short answer, yes, I think they want people. I, I think they want good leadership in those positions because it takes the monkey off their back also, right? Because if people are handling problems at the lowest level possible and they're doing it the right way, it's not the chief's problem. It's not the battalion chief's problem. It's not the shift commander's problem. Like battalion chief's got his own set of problems. I don't need to drop my problems on on Chief Moore's desk, right? So I think ultimately, yes, they want it. This is where I think the breakdown is. I think they want it. And I think sometimes there's an expectation of behavior that they want to see in their company officers but there's no expectations or training to, to allow them to make those decisions. So we have an expectation of a specific type of behavior on one end, but on the back end, we haven't provided our, our officers or our decision makers with any type of training to ultimately make those good decisions. And so sometimes things go bad and those leadership, those leaders at the top's like, oh, how'd we get here? How did this, how'd we end up with this problem? And sometimes I got to ask, like, you know, could this have been avoided? Could... Is this, is this a character problem? Is this because it's a competency problem? Or is this a training and a leadership issue? Could we fix these problems in our organization? Um, so again, I hope that answers this question. Yes, I think they do want it. I don't, I, I don't believe that your chief officers don't want to put people in good positions. Now, we can have a whole other conversation about putting the right people in the right positions. And sometimes that's not always as easy as it sounds. That's right. just the way it is. Um, no, I've always yeah. said this. And I, 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 is if you can come up with a perfect promotional system, man, market it and become yeah. a billionaire because everybody will use it. Yep. Uh, it. It's just, it's tough. It is tough. And you know, it's just, that's just the reality. That's the world that, that we live in. So yes, I think they expect it I, as they should. Um, but they have to ask themselves the same question or a similar question like, I want this type of leadership. I want these types of company officers or chief officers within my department. What am I doing to best prepare those people to take those roles? What am I doing to prepare my folks to handle tough conversations? What am I doing to prepare my folks to pull up and handle 
uh, a multi-alarm fire and do it successfully? They have to provide the answers to those questions as the department's executive leadership. So they can want it all day, as they should, but they need to provide the tools, the resources, and the training for people to make sure that they can do it. Love it, man. Okay, man. They're stacking up. Questions are stacking up. Hope you don't mind because they're coming. No, no, that's great. Stephen McCaffrey coming at you. Question. Oh, McCaffrey. All right. Yeah, McCaffrey's here. As a leader of a department, let me read it right. (coughs) Excuse me. As a leader of a department, culture is huge. How do you measure your culture and what triggers tell you things are going bad or good? Ooh, that's a good question. It's a really good question. I really like yeah, it. Yeah, that's a tough question. Um, how do I measure the culture? I don't know if well, I have a good answer. What do you look for? Yeah, that's the other So, part. yeah, that's a, that is a good question. So I'm trying to think. For me, you know, I would look at, you know, is it everybody has their own culture? Like the Nor- Norfolk Fire Rescue, where we work, we have our own culture. You know, where you work, you have your own culture. Everybody has their own culture or their reputation, a set of behaviors that contribute to their organization, and we can call that their culture. So I can only speak where I work, so I'll, I'll give you this, and I don't know if this is going to answer your question the best, but I'm going to try to do it. So Norfolk is a very old, traditional city. Right? We've been around for a long time. We've been around since 1871. So we have a lot of deep-seated traditions that contribute to our culture. We have a lot of, you know, customs and courtesies, little things that we do that contribute to our culture. Even our like types of positions that are in our organization contribute to our culture. Little things like the officer gets to pick their driver, all right, and the chief gets to pick their aide. Um, you know, the little things how we do, like on Sundays we do fried chicken. On Saturdays we do hot dogs and beans. You know, we have little. Um, traditional things that we do within the firehouse. So if I had to, you know, one one part of our culture, I think that is a, very alive and well, and I think it's very much so in a lot of other fire departments, not just where I work, is the the galley or the kitchen, right? We call them galleys in Norfolk. Okay? The kitchen table, the galley table. Like if I walk into a firehouse and I see whether there's four people there or six people there or 15 people there and and they all go their separate ways. They're all doing their own thing in the station, but they all eventually they all eventually come back to the firehouse kitchen, and they're all just hanging out there. They're BSing there. They're making fun of each other. They're just normal banter back and forth. To me, that's a sign of a healthy a healthy station. That's a sign of a healthy crew, right? And if the company is right, the department is right. right? The company is right. The department is right. So if you have that healthy culture in the firehouse, to me, that's one of the metrics. Are people hanging out together, right? Or when you walk into a firehouse, is everybody in their own separate little areas? Like there's just five or six or 10 silos within the station. To me, that would be a measure of poor culture, at least in that firehouse. And if it's happening within all the firehouses across where I work, then I would tell you that that it's a global cultural problem within our organization. You know, morale comes up a lot. You know, it seems like it's come up a lot lately with just the challenges that the fire service has with staffing and retention and mandos and apparatus delays, like all these little things chip away. Right. Um, And it's like wearing us down over time. It's like that, like drop that just like consistently hits the rock. It's like, oh, this isn't a problem. But like years later, it's just this massive um, cave. The fire department, I think, is could get the same way if we're not careful about, you know, making sure that we cultivate our culture and we uh, 
We make sure that those things stay important to us. The kitchen stays important to us. Those little traditions. I don't care if it's hot dogs and beans on Saturday and fried chicken on Sundays. Those little things stay important to us. And when I start to see those things go away, when I start to see those things dissipate in my department and you have things in your department that are likely strong, when you see people not doing those things anymore, that is a sign that maybe your culture is headed in the wrong direction. I love it, man. The galley, the kitchen. I know the galley. I like it. Yeah, but, I know. Uh, yeah. And I don't uh, know if that answers the question. Um, that's a really good question. No, um, yeah, that's and like I don't whole, know if I did the article, best that's answering a book. it. That's, that's, a, that's a whole podcast in that's and of good. itself. Yeah, that is really good. I will say, and, and Jared touched on it, man, language. Language is huge. I think language is one of your best uh, measurement sticks for your culture. It, yes. Is, is if you can be plugged in and listening to the language that your people are using. Uh, it's one of the early triggers you can see. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. Firefighters are phenomenal at complaining all the time, even when things are good. So don't get me wrong. We're masters of it. I'm not yeah, saying we that, are. But, yeah. But, but you're so it, right. It's, it is, it's, it's the language matters. It's like, and just like, just like I mentioned, you walk and you see them all hanging out in the galley. Yes. Like, what are they talking about? What's the language, right? Yes. Are they energetic? Are they positive? Are they having a freaking ball? Like those are the things that they should be focused on. Right. Or do I walk in a firehouse and look, I'm not, I'm not marginalizing real issues that are in an apartment, but if I see a bunch of company guys and gals, talking about things that are happening down in the C-suite downtown that they have absolutely zero control over. Like, like to me, I'm like, that could be a sign of an unhealthy crew. Like if all you're focused on is what is happening down at the fifth floor downtown, but you can't swing the ax and set the Halligan, that's a problem, right? Or you can't focus on building your own unit cohesion. That's a problem, right? And there's, there's crews that do that and they're very, very fast. You know, it's not always the chief's fault, right? Sometimes they're very quick to point downtown and oh, they're yeah. very quick to point up the chain of command at these chief officers and say, hey, fix this problem, fix my problem, fix this, fix that. When sometimes they don't even have their own freaking house in order right where they work. So it's like fix your own issues first and some of the issues that you might take that might be problems for you you might find that they correct themselves when you take some ownership of your own crew and you focus on what's in your control. I love it. Absolutely love it, brother. Killing it. Killing it. Uh, the other thing you mentioned was siloing, and this is another thing to look out for because mm-hmm. I want to throw it in there because it made me think of it. Language yeah. huge. Proximity, like Jared talked about, yes. especially with the way we're building firehouses now where people can disappear into these cubicles and just, just not even see each other for hours at a time. Don't let it happen. But the other part yep. is shift change. Uh, man, if you're not mingling at shift change, it is a generally speaking, there might be exceptions and it, every place is different. But if you're not mingling at shift change, that's generally speaking, saying that siloing is occurring between crews, between shifts. Absolutely. And it's Absolutely. a big one. That, that, I'm glad you mentioned that. That's a great point. So uh, this last station I left before I went to training, I was a captain over at station 14. And so everybody walks through the same door typically when they come in the firehouse and they walk through the back door and there's a line of couches that sit in the bay. And typically, most times we didn't sleep there. So everybody's just kind of hanging out and drinking their morning coffee between like 6 and 6.30. And it's like the gauntlet. Like yeah. as a new guy, I was never a new guy at Station 14, but I would be probably terrified to walk in and just walk by the couch <laughs> because, you know, there's anywhere between 8 to 10 people just hanging out and it's just like it's a free-for-all. But but I never really thought about that until you just said something like that it's – it's awesome. Like it's fun. Right. right? And that, that is a metric that, you know, that we can measure that, 
You know, the day that those people walk in that station and the two crews aren't hanging out, sitting on that couch, drinking coffee and just making fun of each other or Lost giving shots, each other yeah. hell. It's like, and everybody's just, I don't know, they're just sitting on the bumper, just like a bunch of scarecrows waiting to get relieved or, or they're who knows where, you know, they're out sitting in their truck, just warming it up. Like, I wish that bastard would hurry up and get here. Right. You know, so I can get out of here get instead of, here. of sitting in that spot. That's the day where something has gone wrong. Something right. has gone wrong, you know? No, absolutely. And this is, uh, you, you, you've sparked my brain. Sorry. Uh, yeah, you're good. But, uh, someone told me, I wish I could give credit to it, but they said when your culture is healthy, it is, uh, when your culture is healthy, it's like being healthy. You don't really notice it. It's just normal. Yeah. But yeah, it's when right. you're sick. It's when you're sick. You're like, man, I just want to be healthy. Again. Yeah. Something's you off. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Something's wrong. Yeah, that's here. true. And so it you don't even true. notice it when it's going good. So when they're sitting on the couch, it's just normal, you know? Yeah. But right. Yeah. Great. Great uh, question, Stephen. Thank you for it. All right. That's a good question. Josh Chase coming at you. All right. What's up, Josh? Just recently uh, on the scrap. I know you believe the fire service is paramilitary. Can you explain to me why the fire service is a paramilitary organization? Why it is? Why it is. That's what he said. That's how he he said it. All right. I actually thought Josh was going to put it out into your world about, um, I thought he was going to ask me if Die Hard was a Christmas movie. But (laughs) I was surprised he didn't throw that out there. It's the time of year. (laughs) It's the time of year. It's just a Christmas movie, just like Gremlins. All right. Um, So is the fire service paramilitary? My answer to that is yes and no. Okay. Yes, in the sense that um, we have a command structure, we have a hierarchy, we have rank, we have collar brass, we have these designators that are very much like the military. I mean, heck, even some departments, their pay scales are modeled after military and rank and grade and time and service and things like that. That is primarily for me, at least in my opinion, where the paramilitary stuff stops in the fire department. I think, and I know there's a lot of people that compare the fire department to the military. And I'm one of those people, especially when it comes to like small unit groups and things like that. Sure. But I just think we got to be careful because the fire department and the military are two very separate things, even when it comes down to the way we hire people, right? and the processes that people go through before they end up in a particular unit, right? Uh, it's just it's just not always the same. So, you know, in the military, the other piece that I, I find very different from, from the fire department, and look, I've been out of the military for, um, shoot, you know, almost, almost 20 years. So it could be, it could be very different, but you know, there was no HR in the military or yeah, there was no HR in the military. Like if there was a problem, it was getting dealt with within your unit and it was certainly getting dealt with in your command. It wasn't, there was no third party that was going to look at your case. If you screwed up, you were held accountable. If you screwed up, they would take your pay away from you. If you screwed up, they would bust you down in rank. So my view of the, the accountability piece in the military at least in my opinion, was very, um, very different. It was if somebody was not a performer, if somebody wasn't being part of the team, they were visible, they were called out, and they were held accountable. And they weren't just, I mean, obviously we go through, that. the military is no different than the fire department when it comes to, comes to like 
you know, obviously you got to sit down and have a conversation with somebody. I'm sure. not saying it's just like draconian thing. It's like, oh, you're not performing off the Boom. captain's mast. Right. You go. That's right. not, I'm not saying that either. Um, so there are tools and resources that are in place, just like there are in the fire department to correct someone's behavior, to counsel somebody, to try to, you know, change their attitude and their performance. Those things exist. But my experience in the military is when those people did not meet you halfway and you as a supervisor and a crew did everything you could to try to meet them halfway and you put resources out in front of them and they didn't meet it, they were held accountable swiftly and with with some some heavy justice sometimes. That means demoted, pulled your rank, took your pay, restricted you, you got double duty. I mean, they really came down on your heart and dropped the hammer. So, you know, people see that and they say, guess what? Uh, whatever that guy did, I'm sure as hell not doing that. Right. So sometimes that's all the motivation they need to turn some things around. Uh, so when it comes to to discipline, when it comes to accountability, I think the military is very different. Uh, when it comes to the type of people that enter, I'm not here to say that good or bad on, on either side. I'm just saying it's very different with how the military, I don't want to say weeds people out. That's not the right way. But just the the pipeline that people go through to end up in their positions is very different from the fire department. Uh, it's not, it, it's just, it's not the same. It's hard to compare it, you know? So that would be, that would be my answer. Yes, they're similar. Yes, they're similar, but I don't believe, um, I don't believe ultimately that the fire service is a paramilitary organization. I believe it has some similarities, but to me, it stops at the rank, the badges, the identifiers, the command structure, Beyond that, I'm just not so sure. I'm liking the term pseudo military. Yes, yeah, pseudo. Yeah, that's good. Pseudo, pseudo military. military. Yes, yes, that's a good. That's a good way to. Put I like it. it. I like it. You made me think of it, so I wrote it down. Thank you, Josh. Great question, as always. Yes. Nothing but great questions from the scrappers. Man. I know the scrappers are the good. Best. They make these the show awesome. They do. I know they are. I, every time I listen to your podcast, I'm like, oh man, like I'm on here again. These guys are going to throw some freaking hardballs. I like this question, although it's very specific. So it's a very specific question. So we'll okay. we'll just we'll just see where we go with it. Josh Willard wants to know best steps in making the change from senior man to company officer when promoted. Okay, that's pretty that's straightforward. But then he puts this caveat on it, which makes it very detailed. But you're staying with the same crew. Okay. What's most important? What cannot be missed? So senior man going to the to the company officer, officer role. So for me, this is an easy one. And we talked about it right when we start. It goes back to that authentic leadership, right? So I think if you're, let's say, pretend maybe you're that senior guy today. I don't know. Maybe that's why you're asking the question. All right. If you're that senior guy today and for the last six months, two years, five years, whatever, if you have been demonstrating leadership qualities, authentic leadership from right where you sit, not, not, not because you're about to get a trumpet, but right where you sit today, you're demonstrating those leadership qualities. And those people see that you are genuine and you are credible and you're trustworthy. They know you have the right intentions. And so all you're doing is just simply changing a uniform. You're just putting on a different t-shirt. Now, yeah, obviously you have some, a different role and a different responsibility, but when you go from that, that senior man that you are, and you have that history of credibility, that history of authentic leadership, and now you step into what could be described as a formal leadership position within your station, as long as you don't let that go to your head, which some people do, like you got to check your ego, as long as you don't let that go to your head and you're the same guy today that you were last week, and you just, that's it. Like People are going to see that in you, and they're going to see that there isn't this radical change in your behavior. They're going to see that you're the same guy or gal that was in the firehouse last week, 
they know you well enough to know that you can handle that position with maturity. They know that you can handle that position with humility. So I think the people in that situation that that are that are senior members of the crew, senior members of the department, really, really, tr- truly anybody that has spent their time as a firefighter, I don't care if they have five years, 10 years or 15 years, if they have a credible history of being a firefighter and they've been demonstrating authentic leadership qualities throughout their career, I think that makes their transition very, very easy. Boom. You said it was an easy answer. That was a beautiful answer. Great question. Beautiful answer. Absolutely. Just like crushing them. Joseph Tucker. How do you find that balance between being the guy in charge, AKA boss, and also being part of the crew? That's good. I get that question. I get that question pretty often. So I'll be straight up with you. I don't, I don't really know, but I'll tell you, Again, it seems like a lot of this goes back to what we talked about before, like this authentic leadership stuff, right? Yeah. Corley, you mentioned it, that it's all about proximity, right? Proximity builds bonds. Proximity builds cohesion within a station. You know, if if the only time the the crew sees you is when the brass hits for a call or when it's time to eat, as far as I'm concern, concerned, shame on you. Shame on me if that's happening. Um, now, Again, you don't want to overcorrect, right? You don't want to be sitting and right. hanging out with the guys all day, and it's like reports are getting missed. Uh, you're not planning any training, those kinds of things. So if you are falling short on some of your responsibilities, and maybe you have to get reminded by your battalion chief, or maybe your captain tells you, or maybe there's a fellow officer in the station like, hey, bro, like we have a lot of fun here, but we're missing some things when it comes to like our administrative responsibilities, our company officer responsibilities. I think that's time where you maybe take a step back, put a little professional distance between you and the crew. But ultimately, my answer is that's where you should be, right? You sh- you should be on the front bumper with your with your firefighters. You should be at the galley table, listening to them, building those bonds, building those relationships, building that trust with them. They want to see you there, demonstrating that authentic leadership that we talked about. So, if you're the type of guy, this is what I tell people: if you're the type of guy or girl that was like that before you got promoted, right? And you just like being around people and, you know, you're the guy when you see someone and you give them a big old hug and that's just who you are. Don't change that about yourself when you get promoted. You could still be that same person. All right. You could still be that same person and also caretake some of your administrative responsibilities and the responsibilities with being a company officer. But they want to continue to see that. that. That's why they like you. That's why they respect you. That's why you have credibility is because of those qualities that you've had for so long. So if that's the type of person that you are, it's going to be hard to walk away from that, right? So it's there shouldn't be this radical change in your behavior because people are going to see that and they're going to see right through it and then go, down goes your credibility. So if your default setting as a firefighter is to to be around the guys and girls in your firehouse and drinking coffee and like that, you just want to be close and then you promote, that's probably still your default setting. And that's okay. It's okay. Like you need to be around your crew. You need right. to spend as much time with you uh, uh, with them as you can. You need to be out on the bay floor with them. And again, where does where do I find that balance? I don't really know. But for me, if I found myself where it's like, ooh, like maybe I go in the office at night and I sit down. And I start to go over some stuff, and I'm like, oh, man, like, I really should have been in here earlier taking care of some of this stuff. It's going to bog me down next day, and now I can't spend as much time as I want, or I can't do this drill, or I can't run this training because I've I've kicked the can with some of these responsibilities. I have to be mindful enough to tell myself, hey, man, maybe like next day, not back off, but just 
just don't go over there for a couple hours and, and get what I need to get done here. And once I'm caught up, I'm back on the bay floor. I'm back on the front bumper with a cup of coffee. Love it, man. Dude, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. If you don't get value out of listening to these, my guests, uh, the guests of the scrap, I shouldn't say my guests, but it's just, it's phenomenal, man. There's yeah, so, many, so many, so uh, many nuggets. I don't know a better way to say it. Truth bombs. And it's truth. nice because the questions just come at you. So you, you got to answer it. It's, it's natural. You don't know enough. what's coming. Yeah, and you it, don't. You don't. And that's like Preston Lyons said, such polished answers. And that's what it's, that's what's great about it is they are, you don't know these questions. No, I, yeah, no I don't. It, oh. And that's, that's, <laughs> there's that uh, internet. It's one of my daily buildups. One of the reels I watch, uh, I try to watch every day, but one of them, it says, uh, the guy, it says when someone makes something look easy, it's because they spent a lot of effing time do, working on it. You know <laughs> yeah, what I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. And right. that's, it's, it's, it's just it very true. About it. Yeah, that is yeah. true. He's put a lot of, he's written a book on this. Uh, <laughs> many papers, EFO, a master's degree, I'm pretty sure is in there somewhere, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, uh, dude, 100% killing it. Um, let me see if I'm missing anything here. All right. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. What are your thoughts on education for chiefs, such as college degrees versus experience and certification? Do you think there needs to be a good balance? Joe Gavita wants to know. All right. That's a good question. Um, so when it comes to the education thing, I think there's a lot of pillars that, that make you a good firefighter. Um, I think, I think ex- especially, you know, you asked about the chief level. I mean, I'm not a chief, so I, I'll try to give my best view on it. I could speak at my level. Do I, do I think having a bachelor's degree or a bachelor's degree makes me a good company officer? Uh, I think it helps with some of the, the formal education that I've gotten because, you know, I have taken classes on, I mean, little things like writing reports, writing research papers, sending proposals up to my chief officers to try to get piece of a, a piece of equipment or to change some type of delivery model or, or something like that. I have gotten formal training on, you know, just leadership stuff in general and how to how to understand human behavior and, and try to be not only just a student of my craft as a as a you know, like an engine captain, but to also be a student of people as well and study them and understand what, what drives them and what motivates them and what pisses them off and all those kinds of things. My formal education, I'd like to think, has helped me in that aspect of being a company officer. Is it going to help me on the fire ground to, to competently manage this incident? No, it's not going to do that for me. But that's where that other pillar comes in, right? So my best advice I give to people when we get on the debate of education is – you know, I think if you overcorrect one way or the other, especially as a chief, I think you're missing the mark. You know, and I, I'm always careful when I say this because I don't want people to take it the wrong way. Is you know, I, I hear people say, "Well, this chief officer," and you know, especially when you get into degree requirements, where typically, like for us, I know, like staff chiefs, your sure. assistant chiefs, or fire chief, they're they're really looking at those bachelors and those master's degrees. Um, and I'll hear people say. Well, I don't know why they need all that. I mean, they were they've been a great firefighter in here forever. Like they're just they're a good fireman. I'm like, look, I struggle with that. And I'm not I'm not I'm not here to say that that doesn't have value. Like right. please don't hear what I'm not saying. That absolutely has value. Right? That has value when that chief officer is riding down the road and they're going to their next meeting or maybe they're coming back from it and they see a firehouse and you're like, "You know what?" Let me stop in for a hot cup of coffee with the guys and the girls that are in the firehouse. Let me go sit on the front bumper and BS with them a little bit. I think, I think having that 
fireman is a chief, it keeps them grounded. It keeps them humble. It keeps them remember where they came from. The other side of that is your fire departments are going to have struggles. Your fire departments are going to have challenges. Your fire departments are going to have staffing problems and budget problems and real issues that get kicked down from city government. And your chiefs are dealing with a whole different set of problems that they're not dealing with in the firehouse and on the fire ground like you are. Problems that affect pay, problems that affect staffing, problems that affect morale. And I I think if they don't get out there and balance their portfolio and get some type of formal education, at least at that level, I think the people that potentially can suffer in the end is the people on the line. I believe that. You know, just like just like we talk about officer development and preparing people to sit up in the right front seat, there's a lot of conversations that are happening about that. And those are good conversations. And and I, I'm a fan of those programs. I'm trying to build one now myself. But sometimes we fail at developing our chief officers. You know, they they land in a position and then there's just a finish line either for the department or they just get there and like there's nothing else I need to do. And they they rest on well, I was a good company officer or, you know, I was a good firefighter. So this is going to carry me into my executive position. Yes, that has value. Of course it does. But you have to have a balanced portfolio. So if you want to go out there and you want to further your education, you want to get a bachelor's degree and a master's degree, by all means, get it. Right. But like me, if you get a master's degree and you're at the company level, then you better have a master's degree and be able to flow and move down a hallway. Right. Like you should be able to have that balanced portfolio. That's part of that pillar. Right. Yes, I have my formal education. Yes, I have my experience. Right. So those ultimately will all contribute to you being a well-rounded firefighter. So it's all about where you are. You know, I want a chief officer at the executive level who's thinking long term, who has that vision for the department. Right. Like that's one of the things you talk about in your book. You know, you're your um one of your L's your favorite that's your favorite one right look like look. that's that's what I want you know I want I want chiefs three five years ahead of me I want them thinking about those things I want them being a champion for their fire department I want them I want their problems to be budget problems and staffing problems and how to deal with management overtime and EMS oh. delivery model all those things and I want them to have the education to back that up and to help them come up with those ideas the people at the company level yeah that's great if they have that education too but i want those people knowing how to force doors how to do good searches i want those freaking engine guys flowing and moving down hallways and knowing everything the ins and outs of engine company operations that formal education that they have is going to help them maybe from a management and a leadership perspective sometimes but that's not it Sometimes get they get too focused on just the education thing because maybe departments are pushing it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Or it's like education, education, education. That's a good thing, but it's got to be tempered. It's got to be tempered. And it's up to you as the individual to make sure that you approach that in a realistic way. Nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with formal education. There's nothing wrong with going out and getting a degree, getting a master's degree, getting a bachelor's degree. It's education. Anybody that knocks you for furthering your formal education, I frankly think that's an ignorant thing to do, right? But balance your portfolio. Be good at all that stuff. Work to try to get good experience. Try to get in good firehouses. Work for good people. Yes, get your formal education, but don't rely on one single thing to carry you your whole career. Love it. Love it. Especially at that chief level, like he said, specifically. No, no, yeah, I need to qualify it with that chief level. And it is tough because, well, and, and it's also some... I'm not saying low-hanging fruit, but it's easy to measure a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, a doctorate, you know, whatever you want to associate's degree. It's easy to measure, whereas yeah. experience is a, is a much tougher thing to measure. 
you know, it is. And look, look, there's plenty of people. And look, I'm not, I'm not saying that those without couldn't go up there and hit a home run every day. That's not what I'm here to say. Um, You know, but if you're asking my advice again, that balanced portfolio, I think should be the goal. Somebody could do a 25, 30 year career and they can find themselves as a, an assistant chief. And, you know, I, I've known plenty of those guys that don't have the formal education and primarily because it just wasn't a conversation back then. Like they weren't requiring those things when, when people were coming in the fire department 30, 40 years ago, not to my knowledge, at least not where I work. So, I mean, I've seen some absolute rock star chief officers and executive staff officers that they didn't have a lot of that formal education in the form of degrees. They had experience, but I think the piece that they, they held their hat on was that long-term continued professional development. If that wasn't in the form of a degree that was, then it was in the form of seeking outside education in the form of conferences and classes and other things that they can try to build their education with. Right. Dirk, I got half your question, so please repost it. I'll get the rest of it because I only got the second part of it. I don't have the actual context. Uh, I just got the not sure if there's a question here part. So if you're still here, please repost your question and I'll get it back up here. I missed the first half of it. Something about diversity and promotion. But Tony Nunez wants to know, Jared, how do you feel about promotional tests being weighted more towards subjective information versus objective results? All right, so promotional processes, subjective stuff versus subjective versus objective. Yeah, where do you fall on it, and what's your what's your interpretation of Oof, if man, Jared had a hard. magic wand and fixed the world, what would it be? Man, that's that's such a hard one to answer. I, you right. know, and it goes it's back tough. to that perfect process thing. So I do believe that there should be a certain amount of subjectivity in the promotional process because people prepare for a process. That's simply what they do. I can find. I can pull somebody off the street tomorrow and I can spend three months with them. And they have know nothing about the fire department and I can teach them how to navigate a tactical scenario and a personnel, you know, several personnel issues within an assessment center. And I can have, I can have them study for a written test and I could probably do my best to place them in the top five on my department's promotional process or promotional list. That's simply all it is. It's simply all it is, is preparing for the, the process, the process itself. I want people to be focused on, you know, you know, that long-term goal towards preparing for that position. And that's why I do believe that there should be some subjectivity within the promotional process. I believe that. So if there's an established list now, again, it's all goes, you know, who's the, who's the guy or girl at the top, right? Like if I have that matters, if I have, you know, I might find myself on the other side of the coin one day because like if I have a fire chief who's the one that's making the promotions or at least making the recommendations to the city manager, or whatever, however that works for you. And I know this this fire chief is an excellent guy or girl. I know that they have strong values. They believe in teamwork and cohesion and mission first and all the things that like I'm passionate about. Of course, I'm going to want them to to feel that same way. And when there's an established list that comes out, I'm going to want that type of person. Right. The one that really focuses on our core values and has a mission first mindset and has, you know, is rooted in being a good firefighter and cares about what happens in the walls of the firehouse, like that expects competent officers going out on these fire grounds and, and, and making good decisions. And they have a list in front of them. And of those top 10 people, maybe the number three guy or girl fits that. 
they they model all of those behaviors, but they're not number one. And maybe the number one guy and number two girl, they don't do any of that stuff. I absolutely believe that the fire chief should say, I'm getting number three. And here's why. This is why I'm picking this person because of all these things here. This is what I believe in. This is what I expect out of my officers. This is what this person has demonstrated consistently over the course of their career. And I think that fire chief should be able to, to be able to tell those other people on that promotional list why they didn't choose them. This is why I didn't choose you because this is what I expect of you. This is what I expect of my officers. And these are the reasons why I'm not promoting you. So I do believe there has to be some subjectivity because now, is it a safe path to go if you just take an objective approach to it? Boom, here's the list. I got right. six jobs, one through six. It's safe, right? And it probably eliminates any risk and liability to uh, the person that's making those decisions. And some could even argue that it's fair because they went through a process, they took the test, they finished number one, two, three, four, five, whatever it is, and that's where I'm at, promote me. But that just doesn't always work so well, at right. least based off what I've seen. So I do believe ultimately that that the fire chief or whoever is making promotions within your department, I do believe that there has to be a little bit of subjectivity within that list. Now, I'm not a civil service guy. I don't know the rules and stuff. I, we, we are a civil service department. I do know there's like a rule of five and I don't, I probably couldn't even explain it to you that great. But it's something like if there's, if I have five people on the list and there's one job I can grab within those five people. And if there's two jobs, I can go down to eight or whatever. So there's, there is wiggle room that um, I know our fire chiefs have within that list so they can exercise some of that subjectivity and they've done it before. I mean, they, our fire chiefs have skipped people that were not deserving of a promotion. Hopefully they told them, you know, I'm not part of those phone calls obviously, but hopefully they told them why they, they chose them and, or, or they did not choose them and maybe they'll fix it on the next go round. Um, I think, I think approaching a promotional process in an objective way is a very safe way, uh, but it doesn't always get the desired result uh, on the well, back and, end in the firehouse well, or the fire ground. No. And, 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 and it's like, uh, you know, picking your starting quarterback, which kind of gets to Dirk's question, uh, but picking your starting quarterback, if you're the coach of the football team, if you, if you base it off of, uh, if you don't base it off his ability to throw the football, then when, when it's game time and they can't throw the football, right? You can't yeah, be surprised when, when you can't move the ball. You know, yeah. if, you no. Know, but if you promote him and he can't throw the football because you didn't judge based off that, you have to judge off what they need to do. That's right, and, that's and that's right. what that's that's what the real discussion is. That even Tony's question earlier about, uh, or Tony's question, and then the one we talked about earlier, the perfect promotional process. It's how do you how do you figure out what to to measure what matters. How do yeah, you do that right. in a, in a, in a, and it's in hard to explain. Yeah, I'm sure it's hard to even explain. You know, I'm not, I'm not part of those conversations. I'm not up there when the chief's making recommendations, obviously, but you know, I, I wonder, like you said, that's, that's hard to explain. I would imagine like, Oh, well, explain to me why you're skipping these two people right. and you're grabbing this person. Why well, he scored the best on the test that you guys yeah, use. Exactly. To, yeah. This is yeah. your metric. You guys established this process. This is your process. It's meant to turn out, you know, qualified applicants, like, tell me what the problem is here. Like, no, no, you don't get it. Like, right. this person here has a long history of of problems. And maybe, maybe that's true. And maybe they actually have documentation and stuff like that to back it up. But it's like, well, I'm going to promote number five or number four instead of number one and number two. Well, why? Well, because uh, in the firehouse, they they build strong teams. Uh, yeah. they They represent our core values. 
when the brass hits and they go out to put out a fire in the city that you live in, Mr. City Council Member, they are Johnny on the spot. They make good decisions. They they don't make uh they don't make a whole lot of mistakes. They don't put people in harm's way. They're good risk managers. You know, they're very team focused. They get the job done. Blah, blah, blah. Like you the list can go on and on and on. And then that that person could say, Well, that all sounds really good, but um, but they're number one. This is the list that you established, you know. And, right, and maybe right. the chief loses that fight. And, you know, I, I'm not part of those conversations. I'm not a fire chief. I don't know if those things happen, but I would I would bet they probably do. No, and I've noticed there's an inverse relationship. The higher the organizational trust, and that's that's a very uh, the higher the conditions of trust are within the organization, the more subjectivity exists in the promotional process. Yeah, right? yeah. And the and the less the conditions of trust are stable in the organization, the more the people cry for objectivity to keep it fair. Yeah, you know, what absolutely. I'm Yes, and, I and, do. And, and, and that's that's that relationship. And I think it just exists. And so I think the promotional process is a is a symptom of the problem of a lack of organizational trust. Right. And usually it's systemic and, and it's been there so long. It's just the way it is. Yep. You know, yeah. and anyway, yeah, yeah. way to put it and every place and, and to compound it. Every organization is different and handles it differently. And so it's not like there's any sort of panacea. Uh, yeah. I, know. Yeah. I know. If there was one, you know, if there was the the silver bullet process, we would all be using it. But consistently, we keep using different people. We change vendors every three or four years. So it's just it's there's nothing perfect. The, the best anybody can do is, you know, I got this advice from Ben Martin. I always I thought it was great advice. And we were, in fact, we were talking about promotional process. We were, we were on a jog at FDIC. We were running around the city on our morning, our morning run. And we got to talking about this, the right person for the job and there's position. Why did they promote him? And Ben gave me great advice. He's like, you know, whenever I get to thinking about that and, um, who was the person that asked the question about promotions? Do you remember the name? Was it Tony? Tony? Tony. I think it was Tony Nunes. Yeah. yeah. So it's there's like, been a few of them. So I'm making yeah. sure, but I believe it's the recent one. Tony. So it's like, if you find yourself, Tony, like if that's you, like, man, this is, this is not fair or this, you know, why did this person get it over me? I, instead of trying to focus on other people's, like, instead of trying to focus my attention there, I just turn it on me. I say, you know, instead of worrying about that person and where they landed on the list or whether they got promoted or didn't get promoted, let me just worry about myself and make sure that I'm doing the right thing and I'm demonstrating the right leadership characteristics and I'm leading by example because, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's about what I can control in my That's little it. world. And if I'm doing the right thing, then maybe, maybe even one day that that person on the list that maybe you didn't agree that they should be promoted, maybe one day you're going to have an opportunity to work with that person. Maybe one day you're going to have an opportunity to mentor that person. So in moments like that, when we find ourselves saying, well, this person's terrible or this person's whatever, or they haven't done what, they're, what they should have, there's an opportunity there for mentorship a lot of times, right? So it's like, maybe you can help them out like maybe you can maybe you can show them what the right way is sometimes people they just haven't gotten it and some people don't know what they don't know i know plenty of people finished up on a promotional list and they get promoted and they're like dead honest they're like bro nobody taught me any of this stuff like i wasn't mentored along the way they want to do a good job right. and i would bet i would bet sometimes and i'm an awesome and i'm a half class bull dude but i would bet even some of those people when a promotional process is approached in a very objective way and those people get promoted I would bet most of those people still want to do a good job. And I bet most of those people, if approached the right way, are open to mentorship and leadership. There you go. And I, uh, 
I think that really does touch on Dirk's question uh, without just directly answering it. Mm-hmm. Uh, how are you feeling, Jared? Because we got one, two, three, four, five, like six or seven questions. Still. Yeah, let's still, do it. Still yep. want them to come at yeah, you? man, let's roll. Jeff Turksanye. I, I butchered that name, but that's what you get. Jeff, <laughs> Jeff uh, that's what we get. Just Jeff. Hypothetically, how would you influence a culture if more than 50% of the department is less than two years on the job? Oh, that sounds like a dream come true, man. I was going to say, Jeff, <laughs> that's an awesome situation for you to be in. Uh, you may not think so in the moment, but coming from a guy that's outside of your situation, I would say you are very fortunate. And this is why I say that. I love having new people in the firehouse. Mm. Uh, when I left the training center or le- when I left to go to the training center recently at 14, I had a lot of young guys in the firehouse. I loved it because they're moldable. They're impressionable. And so if you have this idea of what culture should look like in your firehouse, the way you build it is to represent it every day. Like in your attitudes, your action and behavior, they should see some type of culture. And if you want that reflected in your department, then you just pour yourself into those people that have less than two years. I think you specifically, if that's truly the case, 50 people with less than two years, you have an amazing opportunity to really create whatever type of culture you want within that within that department a good one or a bad one and i have a feeling because you're listening to the scrap it's going to be a good one so so if you have an idea of what type of culture you want in your department you have it in your mind now the best way to get there is to demonstrate it through your own example they should see it in you they should see you know if you want a a culture of training then show them the value in it you know if you want if you want a culture of people getting outside their own organization and taking training and going to conferences and all these things to make themselves better, then do that yourself and come back and share it with them so they can see the value in it. Um, make all of these things that are important to you, make it visible to them. And again, going back to what we talked about when we first started, be authentic and all that stuff. You want a specific culture, you demonstrate it every day through your, through your example, your attitudes, your actions, your behavior people that have two years on there. I mean, you might not save them all. I don't know every one of those 50 people, but I would imagine that most of them, if you do it the right way, they're going to get on board. So show up every day with energy, with passion, with commitment. They're going to see that. They're going to want to they're going to want to duplicate that and they're going to want to recreate it. And then all you did was build 50 force multipliers and they're hopefully going to go out and do the same thing and your culture is just going to hopefully take off in a positive way. That's a great place to be in. No, that's what I was going to say, man. That sounds like yeah, a dream come true, man. Yeah, that's so much influence place. there. Uh, Steve McCaffrey asked a question about as a leader, how do you bolster that family time? How do you support and bolster that family time? And I think he just answered it, man. You model the way. Absolutely yeah, that's right. Yep. yep. Uh, Brian Fiora or Flora. I'm not sure. My eyes are not what they used to be. Brian Flora, if there is an unhealthy culture, what are some recommendations to fix it? Very broad. Very broad. There you go. Yeah. Um, so first goes back to like kind of diagnosing the problem, you know, like, or, you know, kind of looking at the system and finding out where those little viruses are, you know, Corley mentioned some of them, you know, the shift change thing, the, you know, if you have a station, well, everybody, they don't get together, they don't spend time in the galley, then, then, you know, find those little things and then start to treat those little diseases, you know, um, you know, try to bring people together, schedule, you know, schedule a bowling day with your crew off duty, yes. you know, schedule a barbecue or something in the spring with everybody at the station, you know, try to do something even in the station, um, you know, to, to build that, 
that culture back up, that unhealthy culture, as you say. Um, so try to think of the opposite of what that would look like for you and take active measures to try to bring that back. You know, whether, hey, guys, I brought in this bag of coffee. I'm going to put it on the pot. Like, let's all let's all brew it right after dinner. We were just sitting around the galley and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to brew coffee for everybody. And we all we all sit there, force people on the front bumpers and just talk to them. You know, if you if you see those silos that exist in the station, break them down. So there's little ways that you can you can correct those things. But I think first it goes back to what does an unhealthy look like for you, you know, in your in your department, you have to diagnose it and then take active approaches to try to fix those little things. And you can only do so much from your level. Right. I, I understand that. Right. Um, but whatever you can do, you do. And you, you take those steps to make it happen and, and build some advocates around you that that want to see that as well because if you have them in your corner it's going to make it a little bit easier to to kind of reshape that culture um you know i was listening to chief Lieb's podcast when i was going to and from work today and he he was talking about a garden remember he mentioned you know like a department's culture has got to be cultivated and every now and then weeds pop up and you got to yank the weeds i liked that analogy um could be the same thing for you brian like you got to identify what those weeds are and get in there and yank them little yank them suckers out and and cultivate some good soil and reestablish your own healthy culture whatever that looks like for you whatever that looks like your department for your department again I don't I don't know the circumstances that have sure. led to that but um, you got to diagnose the problems within the system first and then go I love it Dirk coming at you Dirk Janiak man you got to tell me how to pronounce your name I'm sure you have many times I don't know if it's Janiak or Janiak uh, but I'm just butchering names tonight so it doesn't matter my German brother. How often do you miss that military approach? You're going back to earlier. Oh, that's good. So I just talked about that a few days ago with Josh. I do miss it. I wouldn't say that I miss it all the time. Um, I do miss, and I'm like a structure guy. I, I, and it's weird, but I, I, I like being told what to do. I like structure. I like knowing what's expected of me every single day. So when it comes to that, that, that military structure and that discipline, I do miss that. Um, but that's just my personality also, you know, uh, everybody's very different. You know, I'm the type of person that, I mean, I can remember, uh, I'm not advocating for this, but I'm, <laughs> I can remember one of my warrant officers, he, I raised my voice at him in a drill and he grabbed me by the collar and he dragged me out into like this fueling station and like put me up against the wall. And he, he had a few things to say to me about the way I spoke to him. I'm not saying that you guys should, that should be happening in your firehouses, but I was the type of person where I'm like, I, I needed that as a young kid. Like I needed somebody to tell me like, Hey dude, you're screwing up. Hey dude, this is messed up. So that brutal honesty, that structure, that discipline, I miss that about the military sometimes. Um, not every day, not every week, not, I don't dwell on it. Um, but, but I do miss it to answer your question. But it is very similar. Like the thing that I like the most about the military, and I don't even think I mentioned it when we talked about the whole paramilitary thing. The thing I liked about being in the Navy was I worked in a small unit. I worked in a division that had, well, the division was large, but within that division, I had my my shop. And that had about, at the most, at any given time, was about 22 people. Okay. Right? When I left the ship, I was what's called the leading petty officer of that division, which is essentially like a company officer. Okay. So I liked that small unit. I loved that small unit cohesion that was able to develop within that that group of people. I get to have that all of the time at this at the in the fire department. So I do miss the military. I miss the structure. I miss the accountability. I miss the discipline. Sometimes I miss like um, 
I miss how we groom our leaders, leaders within the military. I like how they do that. But I still have a little bit of the military every day when I went to the firehouse. I have the small unit. doesn't matter if it's there. It doesn't matter if it's here. Shit, it probably doesn't matter if, you know, it doesn't exist just within the fire department. There's, there's teams all over the place, you know, um, even in corporate America that are very tight and they're cohesive and they have high morale and they're mission focused and all those things. That's a, that's a very positive thing. So I have that in the fire department and I've had it the whole time I've been in the fire department. So I'm not one of those guys that's like, oh, I should have never gotten out of the military. Like, this is the biggest mistake I ever made. Right. I miss it sometimes, but I miss the parts that I miss. I don't dwell on it for too long because I know I have a lot of it in the fire department as well. Gotcha. Love it. Good answers. Uh, I like this one. It's very open-ended. What is the hardest part of culture change, according to Jared Sergi? This comes from John Shackelford. John, I would say the hardest part about culture change is just knowing that you sometimes have to play the long game. And sometimes you will probably, if you're doing it right, you may not see the fruits of your labor. So I think you can. it's easy to grow very frustrated with trying to change a culture for the better, obviously. And I feel like sometimes maybe you don't see the fruits of your labor. But I can guarantee you that if you stay consistent and you don't waver and you stick to those values and every little day you are building culture and you're showing that, like as I mentioned before, with your actions and your attitudes and your behavior and any opportunity you get, an opportunity for mentorship or coaching or leadership with somebody else, and you're instilling those same values and that same mission focus in another person, you're building a little bit of that culture every day. You might not see the fruits of that labor until five years from now or 10 years from now. But if you're creating those force multipliers, it's going to happen eventually. And I think maybe the, you know, to go back to your question again, the hardest part of it is, and this is a hard one for me too. I still, I still struggle with it today is not everybody thinks like you, you know, not everybody shares your passion. Not everybody shares your vision. Not everybody sees the fire department the same way that you do. Doesn't mean they're bad firefighters. Doesn't make them unmotivated firefighters. It it doesn't mean any of that. It's just very different. So you might find yourself in a position within your organization where you are very much outnumbered by the people that view things very different than you. And so... It doesn't mean you give up. It doesn't mean you don't stop trying to change that. You you stay frustrated. You stay tired. You stay. You just you got to have some grit, and you just keep freaking grinding, man. And you know, in ten years, maybe it's different. And in ten years, maybe it won't be. I don't know. the The fire department is very much revolutionary, right? Not not evolutionary. It's all about the people that come around at the right time. It's all about having the right people in the right positions at the right time to help cultivate that culture. So you might find yourself in this, you know, these, these peaks and valleys where damn things are great and it's correct. And that's where I want it to be. And the fire department's revolutionary, right? So in comes new leadership in comes new company officers. And maybe that culture, it goes down to a Valley for a little bit. But that doesn't mean you change what you're doing, right? You have an idea of what your culture should look like. You demonstrate that every day when you come to work. It doesn't have to be this, this grand thing. 
you demonstrate that every day you come to work, you hope that people pay attention, you build some advocates, you create those force multipliers, maybe two years, five years, 10 years, the fruits of your labor, you're going to labor, you're going to start to see them. Love it, man. Absolutely love it. Um, they're still coming in. Questions are still basically what this means is you're gonna have to come back and do another scrap. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I love asking this question. This is my favorite question from all scraps. We talked about okay. it the first time you were here, but it's book or books that you think firefighters should be reading. It's been a few years since you've been on, so I want to hear yeah. what books you think fire doesn't have to be firefighting books. Any books. Um, all right. So the books that I couple of books that I really like and that they're, they're military books. I can't help but kind of draw to that. All there's a lot of great fire service books out there. All really good. Sure. Corley's book is awesome. There's a lot of great books out there. Um, there are consistently some books that I give out. And one of them is small unit leadership by Dandridge Malone. Great book, small book. It kind of starts. There's a couple of little sections in there where it gets a little bit dry, but then it picks back up as you read. The reason that I really like that book is because I think it's very applicable to to where I work in, in a small unit. It really gets into how to work with different types of people, how to work with the motivated, how to work with the unmotivated, how to challenge certain people. I mean, there's even little things in the book like how to specifically say something to people to get them to try to change an attitude or a behavior. So I really like I really like that book. Another book that I really love, It's Your Ship. Mm, yes. Um, by Michael Abershoff, I think I'm saying his name right. Yes. So he's a captain of the USS Benfold. And the reason that I like this book is because it's all about ownership and accountability. So he comes on the Benfold, and the Benfold's kind of a mess. The ship has some issues. So he ends up going around and he meets with everybody on the ship. You know, you talk about trying to measure culture and measure morale and get these men. He does that, he asks all kinds of questions. What do you like the most about the Benfold? What do you like the least about the Benfold? And if you were the captain today, what's one thing that you would change? He does that with every crew member. And he he ends up taking that ship from, and I can't remember the terminology. It's been a while. But, but basically like one of the worst ships in the Navy when it comes to inspections, operational readiness, competence, things like that, to being one of the best ships in the Navy by taking ownership, by taking accountability, by polling his folks, by measuring the culture that's that's been developed within that ship. He was able to turn all that stuff around by really engaging his folks, empowering his members. You know, there's a story in the book where some dignitary comes on the ship. And typically that happens. The skipper's walking around, the commanding officer of the ship. And it's like, you know, it's the higher ranking officers that are on there. And they were going to walk them through the engine room or something. And so the skipper's like, why am I walking this person? Like, hey, let me introduce you to you know, third class petty officer Corley Moore, like he works in the the main engineering space every day. He's going to walk you around and, you know, to see this, this young sailor walk through the main, and I, I could be off on the area of the ship. I'm just grabbing sure, it sure. somewhere like walking around, showing how much pride he has in his job, how much ownership he has in all the equipment, his responsibilities, like the dignitaries were very taken back by that, you know? So it's, it's twofold. Like one, you know, he shows this dignitary, you know, and his crew that he is willing to trust, you know, an E3 and E4 to walk this VIP around and show them what this ship is all about. He's allowed them, you know, he showed that he he trusts his folks, that he's empowered them to make these decisions. The skipper doesn't need to do it, right? The guy that works down here every day that's on the ground every day on the deck plates, right? this person's going to be the one to show him how things get done around here. So those are the two books that all have always really stood out to me. Uh, small Unit Leadership, It's Your Ship. Two fantastic books. They're some of my favorites. 
I think I read Small Unit Leadership because of you coming on the scrap the first yeah, time. Yeah, it's a great book. Dude, great I'm telling book. you, I think I highlighted the entire book. Like I it might be it. the most highlighted book it's I've so ever good. read. It's so good. And it's not big. Like you said, once you get the, the little part at the beginning, no, it's not the big at all. Story, yeah. Uh, Cause there's like, like a long Vietnam story right, in there and it's, the it can get a little dry. Yeah. But after that, man, when he gets into the meat and potatoes of it, man, it is uh yeah, no. Yeah, and the other good. funny part is uh, it's your ship. I didn't realize this cause I read it. I don't know when it was a while back mm-hmm. and it's highlighted up and I typed up notes on it and everything. Not long ago, probably about a year ago, I went back and read my notes and I didn't realize how much of an influence it had on like the nine L's class. And ultimately, the Nine L's book. Like, there's yeah. so many principles that he uh, expressed in that book that I ripped off, for lack of a better term, or I learned from him, I should say. Yeah, it's awesome. I actually, that whole thing where I said, What do you like the most about Benfold? What do you like the least about Benfold? When I became the captain over at 14, um, you know, typically I sit down and go over expectations with everybody, and I, I adjusted a little bit. And um, I ended up sitting down with everybody in that station. And I think there was like 16 or 18 guys on the roster. And you know, short-term goals, long-term goals. I want to know what they were working on, some stuff they want to accomplish, you know, long-term right. stuff that they're right. working on. And then I asked them that. And they had some new officers in the station, me being one of them, and then another new lieutenant. And the other lieutenant had been around there for a little bit. And I asked them just that question, those questions. What do you like the most about 14? What do you like the least about 14? And if you're the captain today, what's the one thing that we change? And I got awesome feedback. And I, I took that from that book. Um, the only other, and I, it's not one particular book. I'll throw out a couple other. It's mainly yeah. an author is anything by Patrick Lencioni. I Lencioni. think it's gold. I love his books. Um, we talked a lot today about culture and we talked a lot about unhealthy culture. There's one book that he wrote called the advantage. Um, that is an outstanding book when it comes to organizational leadership and culture and how you can have an impact. Yep. Right there. Yep. There's a sub, I can't the, remember the. Something about organizational health, right? Why organizational health trumps everything else. I haven't read it yet. Yeah. It's in my stack. It's an outstanding my, book. My culture research stack right here. It's like yes. 12 books you're gonna tall. You're going to love it. It's a great book. The other one that I love from him, boil it down to the company level, is The Five Dysfunctions of Dysfunctions, yeah. Yep, great book. Anything That's my Patrick favorite. Lencioni. That's my favorite yeah. Lencioni book is Five Dysfunctions, yep. but I haven't read The Advantage yet, so I'm His excited. His stuff is great. He's got good ones like Death by Meeting. He's, I think the list goes on. He's a great author. Awesome. Are all of them written in the same way as dysfunctions? Are they all stories? Like with they're all very or? similar. Yeah, they're all about okay. the same length too, which is good. You know, not yeah. not super long. Yep. No, because as I've gotten older, I've gotten less and less infatuated with the length of a book, and gotten more. I love I love a nice concise. Get yeah, to his are point. just boom. It's just a punch. They're good. Yeah. They're great books. He's a good author. Love it. All right, we have a thing we do. It wasn't around the first time you were here. It's the five no, no, it wasn't. So I think I might have asked one question at that time, which was, I think the original question was like, what's the problem with the American Fire Service? It was a very negative question. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so it's evolved. We're now on our third uh, iteration of the five questions. It's called uh, the five questions for firefighters versions 3.2. All right. uh, the answers are 100% or your opinion. There is no right or wrong answer. The points are arbitrary. They're assigned by me with the help of the studio audience. I'll tell you this. You already got bonus max points for A, showing the book, the nine L's, and B, uh, right referencing the, the my favorite L. Look. Yeah, look, so, favorite one. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> Excuse me. Make me laugh. Um, so all that being said, my question for you is, Jared Sergio, are you ready for the next five questions for firefighters? I'm ready. Let's do this. Number one, what is the skill that has carried you through your fire service career the skill that has carried me through my fire service career uh i would say uh 
I want to lean towards humility, but I'm going to go something different. I'm going to say I've tried to man. I don't know if this is a skill. I've tried to maintain a beginner's attitude in everything that I do, and maybe there's some humility in there as well. Um, but I've tried not to get too big for my britches. I've tried to make sure that I always understand that I uh, I am nobody special. I always have a lot to learn, and I, I tell my new folks that all the time. If they can move through their career maintaining that beginner's attitude and like they were on probation and just constantly be hungry and thirsty for more knowledge, it's going to, your success is going to be a natural byproduct of that mindset. Love it, man. And as expected, crushed question one, max points. Yeah. Mark <laughs> alone said all the points. Uh, no, 100%, man. Absolutely killed it. Number two, it's job town. It's time. You're in route and responding. You got to think of the scene from Backdraft where he slaps the cassette tape in. To the oh, tape. yeah. What song are you playing in route? Oh, a song. So it's either going to be something by, I would say, Metallica Ooh. or Alice in Chains. Uh, maybe like Man in the Box, I guess, if I had to pick. I like Alice in Chains, so I'm going to go with Man in the Box. Man in the Box. I love it. And I'll give you max points for some 90s metal. Yeah, man. Absolutely loves it. Absolutely love it. Uh, And there's also a Spotify playlist where you can find all the answers. It's called the, I believe, the Weekly Scrap. Oh, nice. Playlist. So yours will be added. Man in the Box will be added to that list. Uh, Number three. What is, I was going to say something about Metallica, but what is (laughs) your favorite fire service tradition? Ooh, good one. Fire service. My favorite fire service tradition. Uh, I, I've said it before. I ha- I gotta go with. I gotta go with the the kitchen. I gotta go with the power of the the kitchen table. The galley table was what as we call them. You know, um, any firehouse you walk into, if there's a healthy culture within that firehouse and everybody's hanging out in the galley, there's you can get marriage advice. You can get uh, let's see. There's bankers. That there's uh, financial planners. There's people that can give you advice on how to raise your kids the right way. Uh, there's people who could talk to you about your fire department stuff. There's guys that could take care of your lawn. There's guys that could build your deck. Like that is the place that you go to just to get stuff out. And it's, I think it's hard to describe to people who aren't a part of that. And hopefully they're a part of something like that where they work. I don't know if there is, if there's something, I don't think there's anything that exists like it's, it's, it's very unique. I think to the fire department, um, and I think that is such like that is the heart of a firehouse and the heart of a fire department, I think, is just the the energy and the engagement and the camaraderie and just the things that take place at that at that kitchen table. I just I think it's unmatched. I don't I don't think you can recreate that in a lot of places I that uh, to me is the I think when I leave the the fire department, I feel like I'm one of those people who can who can look at it as just, I have my fire service, fire service, fire service experience. I'm off to the next chapter of my life. And, you know, I focus on that. Um, but I think if there's one thing I will absolutely miss is, is just being in the kitchen, just being around the guys and the girls and just talking about whatever we happen to talk about at the moment. I'll miss Love that it. a lot. That's one of the best traditions, I think. Easy max points, man. And it is, it's hard to beat. And it's probably it's hard. Pop- it's hard to it's, beat. It's the, it's, I think it is the, it, that in the front bumper. I think yeah. the two. Most I mean, I crave it now. I've been in the training center a few months now and I'm like, 
like I gotta get in the firehouse. Like I'll just zip out. I'm like, hey chief, I'm gonna run down to station whatever fourteen, and I'll I'll pay in for lunch. And I just like I need to right. I need, need to the have time. that need, yeah, the time. need the time. I love it. Uh, max points three for three. Number four. This is the one. This is a uh, on the clock. All right. We have to put it on the clock. No honorable mentions. You get four. Four only. Four only. All right. Who are the four people you would put on your Mount Rushmore of the fire service? Oh, man, that's a tough one. Gosh. Only four. Are you sure there's not like eight on Mount Rushmore? All right. Um, so I would say the people that shaped my career earlier are going to go up there. Some people that stand out to me, my first captain, uh, Brandon Dommel, who is a battalion chief now. He's going on Mount Rushmore. Um, and then the other people, I think, that shaped my mindset and my attitude. And, um, you know, and I want to lead towards people that are outside in the greater fire service. You know, I like I think about people like Andy Fredericks being an engine company maniac. But my Mount Rushmore are the people that 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 rock that gave me that bedrock for my fire service career, just like that. That's made out of Brandon Dommel's one of them. I got to say Josh Chase is another one. Uh, my buddy Robert Brandt, and then I would probably have to throw my friend Dan Carter in there also, just a guy who teaches you to look for the best in people even when maybe it's not always there. There you go. Boom. With five seconds to spare. All right. I had to give you the warning. I didn't, I didn't want you to get – because I have to be a stickler on the I one know, minute. that's a hard one, man. Dang. No, I love I love the fact that you went with four that, that were personal. Like Because yeah. there's two directions you can go with it. You can go with fire service giants, obviously. I could, yeah, and yeah. Like you said, I Andy could Frederick for a second. Uh, yeah, but, he's up there. Uh, the people that actually had the influence on you, man, that's that's powerful. And yep, I love that's that. That's right. I yep. love that. Especially so early points, in my career. Easy, easy. Max points, four for four. Final question. And actually one you've never had before, even though this is the original five questions for firefighters question. You ha- you did say you're an engine company maniac, so we'll see where it goes. To my but core. Heavy fire and searchable space. Would you rather be assigned to the nozzle or first in on VES? Nozzle all day long. And look, I don't care what those people on that truck or that rescue company say. If they go up to the front door and that nozzle's sitting there by itself, they want it, boy. They want to be on that sucker. <laughs> don't let them fool you. They're looking at it. And they're having this little grapple in their own mind. They're like, oh, man, big old fire. I could be on the end of this knob. I'm taking it. I'm taking it. They're it's calling to them. Yeah, it is speaking to them. Trust me. <laughs> that officially makes it. Five for five, max points, and that officially makes it 223 scraps in the books. My brother, Jared Sergi, thank you for sharing your evening with us. If someone wants to get a hold of you, uh, what's the best way they can go about doing that? So they can hit me up on social media. Just go to my Facebook page, Jared Sergi. You can find me on Trial by Fire Facebook page as well. Uh, if you want to shoot me an email, you can do that. My email is super easy. Just all lowercase. It's my first and last name together, Jared Sergi at gmail.com. That's probably the best way to do it, man. Love it, man. And it's been a phenomenal evening. You have to come back. Yeah, it's been we, fun. We, yeah, let's do so it. Many, yeah. We need we got to one question that we put in the in the plans and then the yeah, audience. That's right. That's right. One. Yeah, which is which right. is the way the scraps go. They were all good them, questions though. I they, they were phenomenal. Some great questions. I'm yeah. telling you, it, it's uh I love it. I absolutely yeah. love it. Yeah, it's uh, awesome. 
Uh, housekeeping. Here we go. Go to firehousevigilance.com. There are, uh, I think there's a couple days left on the, on the, the 10% off for Christmas, uh, uh, FH, FH Christmas 2023 or whatever it is. Look for it on the Facebook page. Uh, but yeah, get, get your swag bot. Vigilantes go become a member. I don't know if you can read the hat in the light. Vigilantes, I'm, I'm repping them. Uh, absolutely the greatest group of the, they're the cool kids club. 100%. Five bucks a month. It's the price of a cup of coffee or a chai tea latte. Um, Five bucks a month, and you are a member of the Cool Kids Club. We do forums. We do the fire away question and answer sessions. And the cool part is what we're getting ready to do is the after strap party where we go in and we roast the guest and tell them how um, how terrible they did, <laughs> which never <laughs> happens. But we keep threatening it. We keep threatening it. And Jared has, has graciously agreed to come and be That's roasted. right. Yep. Have at it. So uh, we're doing the V50 together. We're on day 32 today of the V50, the V50 challenge, the V50 commitment. It's phenomenal. Uh, all that. Go become a part of the Vigilantes. Um, all that being said, my brother, Jared Sergi, thank you for being such a phenomenal guest, sharing your insight, uh, fielding the questions like a boss. Um, and we'll see you in the after party. Audience, you make the scrap magical. I mean this from the bottom of my heart. Each and every week I say it, but it does, man. You guys absolutely um, – Make the scrap magical. So thank you for tuning in and watching live and throwing great questions at the guest each and every week and letting me be a part of it. Uh, I love you all. Remember, mutts don't scrap. I hope the tones stay silent unless it's burning. Everybody stay safe out there. Thanks, brother. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Scrap. Please subscribe and please share. We'll see you at the next episode.